In Atlanta, one voice has stood out for over four decades. An AJC original, The Monica Pearson Show. Let's talk about how you got to ESPN. Revealing interviews. You are known as America's doctor, but I want to know who you were before that. When you have a different name, you have different color skin, it can be tough. With Atlanta's most famous faces as you've never seen them before. I'm telling my story. This is the American dream. The Monica Pearson Show, streaming now on AJC.com. Donald Trump has been indicted in Atlanta. We have so many court dockets to follow, but we haven't really seen anything yet. The Atlanta Journal-Constitution has covered every moment of this historic case. I've been writing about this investigation for two and a half years. Our team is led by reporters Bill Rankin and Tamar Hallerman. Follow our coverage on AJC.com and listen to new in-depth episodes of the award-winning podcast, Breakdown, The Trump Indictment, only from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. The top five factors that will shape the final election sprint in Georgia. Welcome to Politically Georgia from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution, the podcast we want you to depend on for the most on-the-ground coverage of the 2022 election. I'm your host, Greg Lustein, along with your other host, Patricia Murphy, and we are two of the political insiders here at the AJC. If you're just listening to us for the first time, please follow us on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts so you never miss an episode of Politically Georgia. Trisha, we've got a quite the final sprint to get ready for. So I hope you enjoyed your holiday break. Oh, I did. I did. We went up to the mountains for a minute. And although I had a lot of stuff going on back here in the state, as you and I both do. Um, so but no, it was wonderful. We went gym mining and rafting. And um, it was Fabulous. And now and now now we're back for the sprint. I feel like it's like it's like the season finale of a great show or like the playoffs or so you know, like we're going into this season where everything matters. And I love this. I love this part of the year. I like it. We'll call it the season finale. Although we might have um, some encore episodes. If we, we may have a cliffhanger. Yes. In a runoff or something like that. We'll find out soon enough. <laughs> no one's anxiously waiting, uh, holding their breath for that possibility. Um, but uh, I, we went to Chattanooga. We had our second weekend in a row in Tennessee. And we got some good time off. Although it wasn't relaxing because this time we took our kids and it was like the aquarium and the climbing wall and the art museum, which was great. And the, uh, what was it? The Hey, did y'all see uh, a game? Did y'all see a baseball game? We didn't. It was raining pretty much the whole weekend. Okay. What we, what's the, oh, Sea Rock City. I couldn't, I oh, couldn't yes. remember what it was. We saw Sea Rock City Love and it. went through the fat man's squeeze and did all that fun stuff. <laughs> so it was great. And we all returned safely and soundly. But it was, you're right. It was, a, uh, it was a nice, relaxing episode before the final sprint. And we're going to try something different for this show. Rather than talk to you about you know the last couple of days on the campaign trail, since we weren't really on the campaign trail the last few days, <laughs> we're going to talk about the five factors that will define this final sprint. And Patricia, to me, maybe the first and one of the most important factors is this tidal wave of cash that's being spent in Georgia. Um, as we let our swing state newsletter with, which is another newsletter we have, we have all sorts of fun products at the AJC. Um, Georgia is swimming in a pool, almost drowning in a pool of money. More than $270 million has already been spent or reserved in Georgia. And Democrats are far outspending Republicans so far in in these contests. 
Yes. And I think it's so interesting to see how the campaigns are spending their money. And you had an awesome story over the weekend that really dissects all of the ways that they're spending their money. In fact, there is so much money coming to Georgia. The campaigns are having to get creative with how to spend it, including literally giving it away to voters in order to break through because you reach a point in these campaigns where there are so many commercials on TV from so many campaigns and outside groups, they almost start to blur together. And so these campaigns now know they have to start to really punch through with something even kind of new and different. So you included reporting about ads at the gas station, at gas pumps that the Stacey Abrams campaign had purchased. Brilliant. Like you can't get away from those if you're out there. You can't there. avoid those. No, can't as avoid long those. as you're a driver. 100%. And many people are. 34 and 22, the super PAC supporting Herschel Walker has done those by now famous or infamous, depending on which side of the aisle you're sitting on. Um, those gift card giveaways for groceries and gas to really push home the message with voters that things are expensive in their telling because of Joe Biden and Raphael Warnock. And so Stephen Lawson had a great quote in your article where he said, look, you know, at a certain point, the ads are what they are, but this is really yielding results for them way more than $50,000 in ads ever could. Yeah. He said, um, TV ads will always be the most effective way to mass communicate. But our rural grocery and gas giveaways have been a unique force multiplier, offering a better bang for your buck, both literally and figuratively, because they're forcing people like me and you to talk about them and cover them in ways that, you know, gets beyond the 30-second TV ad. But there's still plenty of those. And I'll, let's break down the numbers. More than $217 million has so far been spent or booked for TV ads in the Senate race, $121 million to back Warnock, $96 million for Walker. So a tremendous amount of money. And, you know, once that would have been an unthinkable sum. I mean, just just compared to, I don't know, five years ago, six years ago in Georgia, that would have been unimaginable amount of money. But really compared to the last cycle where we had a billion dollars essentially spent, nearly a billion dollars spent, it's not as eye-popping, but still for, for a midterm election, that is record-breaking sort of money. In the race for governor, not nearly as much money. You know, we're not talking about $217 million because control of the U.S. Senate's not at stake. But still, a lot of money is being spent. Abrams and her allies account for $41 million in spending compared with $28 million backing Kemp's bid for a second term. So a lot of money being spent, and you're only going to see more of it. And really, you know, it'll be this sort of, I think, this innovative way of spending that could be the difference maker. Abrams not only has those gas station ads, but she's also timed TV ads to football mad audiences. We know that Governor Kemp is just upped his spending post-Labor Day as more voters tune in and try to break through a cluttered media landscape. And, you know, we, we talked about this earlier, but Raphael Warnock, he's getting attacked over his famous ads involving Alvin the Beagle. Herschel Walker's campaign came out with a now-deleted ad that falsely claimed the pooch had disappeared as a weepy Sarah McLaughlin tune played in the background. <laughs> the pooch. Poor Alvin. Alvin did not disappear. Alvin is just not in any ads. He just uh, hasn't showed up quite yet. This, yeah, this, exactly. Uh, he, he has not gotten involved in politics quite yet this cycle. Um, not willingly anyway. But I guess my question <laughs> for you, I'm going to ask you a question, Greg Bluestein. So if one campaign or one side has, you know, $100 million, and let's say the other side has 
90 million dollars. I think you said that for the Warnock, the pro-Warnock forces, it's 120 million. Does that 30 million make a difference, do you think, in terms of who and where they're reaching? Or does it all just get tuned out? I don't know at what point does enough become Mm -hmm. too much and they should start spending their money on ground game or outreach or something like that. You know, they sure hope it makes a difference. Um, And you're right. At some point, it just becomes background noise. You know, especially when you see back-to-back ads or back-to-back-to-back ads, like we will see and we've already started seeing, but we certainly saw in the 2020 election. But, you know, for a while now, it's been Democrats vastly outspending Republicans on the airwaves. And that's why Republicans feel okay going into this, because despite being outspent, you know, Governor Kemp's up three, four, five points in the public polls we've seen, and Herschel Walker's down one or two or three points within striking distance in the uh, the public polls we've seen. So if you're Republicans, you have to feel confident that despite being outspent, you're still in the game. You're still very much in the ballgame here. And, you know, it's now or never for these campaigns. If they're going to start spending that money they've raised, they're spending it right now to try to neutralize the Democratic advantage on the airwaves. And so will it matter in the long run? You know, we've talked to so many voters who say they're tuning out these ads. This is the time where they, they're glad they, they dropped their cable subscriptions, their TV packages. <laughs> they're glad they only watch things streaming. But even that, even then, you're going to see ads targeting digital streamers and the like. Yeah, I think somebody like Raphael Warnock probably is a good example of who has benefited the most from all of the money he's had. He's been up on the air since last January. I remember uh, seeing an ad for Raphael Warnock in Atlanta Metro on New Year's Day, and that has never subsided. And so Republicans will point to that as the reason they feel like his numbers have remained high and steady this whole time because he's been running a really sustained pro-Warnock message around the state. And then they say, you know, just wait, wait till we start to really land some punches. And so I guess we'll, I guess we'll see, is this, was it wise for Republicans to hold their money back until this point? They may not have just had the money uh, to spend since January the way he did though. And it's given, I think it has given him a strong advantage so far. Okay. Patricia, the second major factor are really the two driving forces that voters say is their most important factors in this election, which is abortion and the economy. These are the two top factors on the November ballot, and they could have a transformative effect on the electorate because no one can be sure how the 1.6 million or so new voters who have registered since 2018 will flex their muscles, whether they'll show up, you know, how many of them will actually show up, and really how reproductive rights, how the Supreme Court's decision involving Roe versus Wade will transform that electorate. Here's Stacey Abrams on abortion rights. We are not leaders who believe in stripping women of their right to choose, their right to decide their medical future. We do not believe in investigating miscarriages as criminal acts. We do not believe in physicians hesitating in the ectopic pregnancies for risk of 10 years in prison. We do not believe that you can say with one breath that you care about the lives of women and deny them access to the very health care that could make carrying a healthy baby to term possible. Patricia, we've had many, many conversations with Abrams's strategists and her allies who say, really, this might be the biggest question of the election, is how the abortion issue, how that transforms and changes the electorate, because they believe that there's a significant number of voters, particularly women, maybe as many as one-fifth, who feel like the abortion decision is their number one most motivating factor. 
Yes. And we've heard from the Abrams campaign that following the Dobbs decision, and even once it was leaked, actually, even before the Dobbs decision became official, they were starting to see in their own data that the abortion issue was more persuasive than their most persuasive issue in 2018. It is a real game changer for some voters, not for all voters, but there is a group of voters, and let's plop the 55% of the electorate that will be voting who are women. Put that into perspective. This is the first time in nearly 50 years that women will go to the polls and abortion is no longer protected by Supreme Court ruling. And so there's just no way that that is not going to affect this election. The situation is, though, nobody knows how it affects the situation because it's so unprecedented. But what we do know is that Republicans don't talk a lot about this in front of audiences beyond their most conservative audiences, but Democrats do. And there is messaging from Democrats all over the state. And I'll point you even to a billboard that's up in the Ninth District that I just got a picture of. And it's a, um, the Ninth District is Andrew Clyde's district. That's as conservative as it gets up there. There's a a Stacey Abrams billboard up up there that says, while you still have the choice, choose Stacey Abrams. And there are all kinds of messages about choice and protecting women's rights and protecting women's health care all over the state. And those are going to be in districts that may not necessarily be anything that's going to actually vote for a Democrat Mm -hmm. to send to Congress in the Ninth District, but that will move Abrams' numbers up. there That will persuade some number of voters. And Abrams' campaign is even saying that they're seeing Republican women who are looking at coming over to Stacey Abrams or simply not voting for Brian Kemp because of this issue. And if she pulls off what would be an upset victory in November, then we'll be talking a lot about those stealth efforts, right? Those formerly Republican women, even in the rural areas who switched parties and voted across ballot in races like this. The flip side of the coin Patricia, is we're not going to be seeing Governor Kemp or many Republicans, their campaigns at least, touting their abortion views and their support for abortion limits in TV ads. What we will be seeing, I would wager, is probably 80% of the pro-Kemp ads and the um, pro-Walker ads talking about the economy, right? The other major issue that's really defining this election and inflation, the higher prices for household goods. Prices of gasoline and and energy has tapered off, but certainly that was a big issue over the summer. Republicans are wagering that this election will really revolve around those economic woes. And so we'll be hearing a lot more on the campaign trail and on the airwaves about those issues. Yeah. And it's another situation where Republicans know that this will be their issue. And again, there's no way that this is not going to affect the November election because we are at record high inflation for 40 years. Now, it does feel like that issue has lost some potency for Republicans over the last several months, but we don't know what it looks like in November. So gas prices have gone down for the last 12 weeks in a row. Like when I filled up my gas tank this weekend, it was less than $50 (laughs) for the first time I can remember. So it's just taken its foot off the gas the tiniest bit in terms of how deeply anxious voters are over the economy. Inflation is still very real. Inflation is still very high. Interest rates have gone up. So we don't know what the economy is going to look like in November, but Republicans know by far it's their strongest issue. And so they're going to be hammering that on ads all the way through the fall. Okay, issue number three. 
is President Joe Biden's approval ratings on the upswing. After plumbing new depths in approval ratings in Georgia, about 36% in the last AJC poll, Democrats are banking on a turnaround by highlighting his policy achievements capped by the federal tax climate and health care bill that passed just a few days ago. Patricia, this is a major issue because we know that Stacey Abrams, in particular, has very tightly embraced President Joe Biden, said that she'd campaign with him, talking on the campaign trail about his policies, about his agenda, and about her support for the president, while Senator Warnock has taken a more arm's length approach. She's talked about areas where he's backed Joe Biden, but also areas and issues where he's aligned himself with very conservative Republicans. He loves telling that story about his resolution with Ted Cruz, Ted his Cruz. proposal with Ted Cruz loves to expand <laughs> a highway to Texas. He also talks about working with Marco Rubio and Tommy Tuberville and other conservative Republicans. Interestingly, he'll talk about that to you know, overwhelmingly Democratic audiences. He's not. He's not saying this in the suburbs. He's saying this in you know deep blue areas. But it's still he's saying this as an example, as an example of where he can work with Democrats and work with Republicans in his view to better Georgia. So look, things are looking a little bit better for Joe Biden's approval ratings. Certainly, we'll have a little bit more detail on that later this month when the next AJC poll comes out. But Patricia. Democrats are making a pretty big bet that, you know, his approval ratings, that his popularity is is on the rebound. Yeah. So Joe Biden is still not popular, like what you would call like plus 50 percent popular. He's not there yet. Um, But he's not as horrendously unpopular as he was six months ago. Um, The Wall Street Journal polling has had him ticking up, I mean, 15 points in his approval rating since last March. It's been actually a huge and quite sustained swing upward for Joe Biden. I think that has a lot to do with those gas prices just kind of ticking up a little bit. Had a lot to do with that July and August that I think of as kind of the summer of substance for Democrats. They actually got some stuff done. They got a lot of stuff done that they um, have been able to come back as was planned, but never quite sure that they were going to have this in the bag. They were hoping to get all of these things done so that they could bring it home. Somebody like Raphael Warnock come home and go around on these statewide visits as he just has and talked about now Medicare can negotiate drug prices for the first time. I want to say ever, or in a you know maybe in forty years, I don't know. I don't know that Medicare could ever negotiate drug prices, but it's kept those prices quite high for seniors. That has changed now. There's the insulin cap at thirty five dollars for seniors on Medicare. There is the gun control measure that Democrats put through that he talked about. Uh, even in Rome, he got a big applause line when I was up there with him in Rome. Has talked about the chips bill for semiconductors. Talked about that huge climate bill that they got done that had a whole lot in there for Georgia. Georgia and also the student loan relief. So he has been able, because of the summer that they spent moving bills forward and passing and Biden signing, mm-hmm. you may or may not like those bills, but now Democrats can also at least say, and by the way, we can govern. Like we are a functional government when Democrats are in charge. And they did not have that talking point six months ago. So Biden has ticked up significantly in his approval rating. The generic ballot poll also has ticked up. That's gone Mm -hmm. from a Democratic deficit of four to a Democratic surplus of four. And so that doesn't mean Democrats are going to win all these races, but it does mean it's going to be harder 
for Republicans to get the job done if the election were tomorrow. Now, we have to see what happens when the election really is tomorrow in November. But right now, Democrats are feeling so much better than they were six months ago. You can just kind of feel it in what they're saying, how they're saying it, how they're messaging. They're not running away from Biden anymore. They're saying, hey, look at all this stuff and send us back to do more. And Republicans are no longer talking about a tidal wave, a giant red tsunami. Instead, Republicans are now tempering their expectations, lowering their expectations, downplaying their chances. We talked about Senate Majority Leader, Senate Minority Leader Mitch McConnell uh, voicing concerns about candidate quality. He didn't say any names, but certainly you could read into that by thinking that he's concerned about Dr. Oz in Pennsylvania and candidates in J.D. Vance in Ohio and, and Herschel Walker here in Georgia because of the blunders and the gaffes that those candidates have had. And you mentioned too, Joe Biden's approval ratings. You're right. They're still underwater. They're just not at submarine depth you know, that they were <laughs> not too long ago. And even in the House, you know, where it was, looked like that the House was going to almost certainly flip control. Uh, Nancy Pelosi, when she was here just a few days ago, told me that she has renewed expectations of keeping the House in Democratic hands. We have been mobilizing at the grassroots level to own the ground to get out that vote, because that's the most important thing. We've been raising the money that is necessary to do so, and the messaging has been, we've come to people over politics, lower costs, bigger paychecks, safer communities, so that we're disciplined and focused, and as we have that as our framework and put our issues under there. So just as you said, Patricia, Democrats have some more recent successes to highlight on the campaign trail and a message back to voters on the trail, in you know, in news stories, on TV airwaves, wherever, you know, they have some accomplishments to talk about. Republicans might not like those, right? Say that it's overspending, that's going to end up increasing inflation, that it's full of wasteful budget projects for unnecessary projects, you know, all the like. But at the same time, Democrats still can say, hey, we did this for you. Yeah, exactly. And don't you want more? <laughs> we don't know. <laughs> we don't We don't really know. And that's when you start to, to really think um, those messages are going to be really appealing to Democrats. But other issues like abortion, like the economy, that's why you really feel like those issues are going to start to decide this. This is Politically Georgia from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. Hip-hop is a product of Black people. It's a product of Black song. A celebration. The Atlanta Journal-Constitution presents Hip-Hop's most pulled elements are pulled from the South. A Southern hip-hop store. We always go back to that moment of the Source Awards. Everybody wants your rhythm, but they don't want your blues. The biggest names in hip-hop. Atlanta is still the mecca for hip-hop. 50 years. No one can deny. One film. The power of the South now. The South got something to say. Streaming now at AJC.com slash hip-hop. Our journalists at the Atlanta Journal-Constitution are working around the clock to keep you updated on all the developments surrounding the Trump indictment. Now the AJC is putting all of our coverage in one place with our new Trump 19 newsletter. Every Wednesday, you'll have our latest coverage and analysis on this historic case in your inbox. So sign up for free today at AJC.com slash indictment newsletter. That's all one word. AJC.com slash indictment newsletter. And we're back to Politically Georgia from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. I'm your host, Greg Bluestein, along with the other host, Patricia Murphy, and we are two of the political insiders here at the AJC. We're also two of the authors of the Morning Jolt newsletter, which sets the stakes and the agenda in Georgia politics 
and you can get it in your inbox every morning if you're a subscriber to the AJC. For a limited time, get this, you can get six months of unlimited digital access to the AJC for just 99 cents. That's politics, investigations, breaking news, the Braves playoff run, UGA's second title run in two years, dining, everything. All of our newsletters, including the Jolt, for less than a dollar. It's our best offer for the best journalism in Atlanta. Go to subscribe.ajc.com slash podcast to get unlimited digital access for the next six months, just 99 cents. That's subscribe.ajc.com slash podcast so you always know what's really going on. Patricia, we're back to our five top factors that will influence the final sprint to November. And to me, this might be, I don't know, it'll be really interesting. This might be the most important one or might just not factor in at all, but it's the split ticket trend. Will a significant number of Republicans side with Raphael Warnock as the polls right now are indicating, or they end up veering back to the GOP? And our last poll echoed many other polls, which showed about 4% of Brian Kent voters were backing Senator Raphael Warnock. Another 4% were backing the third party candidate, the libertarian candidate, and about 8% were undecided. We haven't seen a pronounced split ticket trend in Georgia in a very long time. And we might not see it in November, but right now, at least, it's still a major possibility because all the polls indicate we could see one. Generally, as the November election nears, voters end up going back home. They end up going back to either the Democratic Party or the Republican Party. You know, they end up going back to where their base usually is. But still, you know, we have this question surrounding Herschel Walker. We have a number of voters and, you know, anecdotal evidence of voters in the suburbs saying, hey, they can't vote for Herschel Walker for whatever reason, and they're going to hold their nose. At least they're saying they're going to hold their nose and vote for Senator Raphael Warnock, in part because his strategy also includes reaching out to the middle of the electorate. You know, by not aligning himself that closely with Joe Biden, he might be opening the door to win over some of these reluctant Republican voters who still haven't found a reason to vote for Herschel Walker. Yeah, that May primary just left so many more questions than answers in a lot of ways because there were there were a number of Democrats who crossed over in the Republican primary to vote for Brian Kemp and Brad Raffensperger for Secretary of State. You and I spoke with a number of those voters. Not all of them knew what they were going to do in November. Some of them who were Kemp voters said, look, I'm doing this. This is my backup plan. This is my insurance policy. In case the Republican ends up being stronger in November, I'd rather have it be Brian Kemp than David Perdue. But there's no way I'm voting for Brian Kemp in November. You know, like they had clear in their mind, yeah. like, no, this is a two-step process to keep David Perdue out of office. But my first choice is Stacey Abrams. However, there were some voters I spoke with who said, I don't know, I might vote for Kemp in November too. That was much more pronounced with Brad Raffensperger. Uh, uh, talked to a number of Democrats who said, look, I'm voting for him in May and I'm voting for him in November. He did the job I wanted him to do. He kind of did the only thing I really care about, which was saying no to Donald Trump when it really mattered. So we don't know what this is going to look like. And I don't know if the May primary just broke people's muscle memory of 
of only voting for their same party as always, and that will carry over to November, or if that was just a very bizarre anomaly that we saw among many Trump-inspired anomalies in politics over the last two years. We really just don't know. I do think that Herschel Walker is a wild card in this as well. Will voters coalesce with him, Republican voters? Obviously, he has a huge monstrous majority of GOP voters, but will they all get behind him? You know, we just don't know. And so that's why this is one this is one of our really important elements and factors to watch is because it is such a such a wild card going into November and it could end up playing a really important role. Another really important role could be played by those libertarians in each race, the Senate race and the governor's race, could end up keeping either victor under 50% and push this to a runoff when it would be a head-to-head in either the governor's race or the Senate race. And that's a really important point to to make because we have seen very few polls that have actually showed either Senator Warnock above 50 or Governor Kemp above 50. So We'll see if that changes as there are fewer undecided voters. And traditionally, too, the libertarian numbers start to shrink mm-hmm. as November nears. But in this case, you could see, especially in the Senate race, you could see a significant number of Republicans end up staying with the libertarian candidate. You know, we're not talking 15%. We're talking 2 or 3% rather than 1%, which is what a libertarian might usually get. We might see that number three or 4% because we might see protest votes. We've seen that in some of the polls. We just don't know if that will hold. But we've talked to Democratic insiders, including very recently, who expect that trend not to hold. They expect the Republicans supporting Warnock to go back home, the Democrats supporting, if there are any Democrats out there supporting Brian Kemp, for them to go back home when November arrives. Okay, our fifth and final factor for this show is the Trump factor. The former president seems poised for a comeback bid, and he's back on the campaign trail. He just, this over the last weekend, was in Pennsylvania. And that could pose some problems for Georgia Republicans who would rather make this an election, a referendum on the economy, or Joe Biden, than make it a referendum on Donald Trump. Patricia, here's a snippet of what Donald Trump was saying about right here in Atlanta during his Pennsylvania rally. But the district attorney, Trump made a phone call because he was challenging the election. So they're after me for a perfect, by the way, perfect phone call. You'd be very proud of me. Just like the call to Ukraine was a perfect call. The one in Atlanta was a perfect call. Atlanta gets yet another shout out at a Trump rally. And he's, of course, talking about the Fulton County special grand jury probe of that phone call and the other actions by the former president and his allies to reverse Georgia's election results. But look, Patricia, we all know here what a messy situation this can be for Republicans because Governor Kemp, of course, was opposed by Donald Trump. They've reached now a truce after Kemp humiliated David Perdue, who is his Trump-backed rival in the May primary. Also, Herschel Walker entered the race with Donald Trump's support, certainly helped him maybe clear the field. But Herschel Walker and his, and his advisors and his supporters believe he would have won without Donald Trump's support. Other candidates with Trump's backing lost in landslides. One other who won was Burt Jones, the lieutenant governor nominee. But he also is confident in his advisors are confident that he would have won without Trump's support. So they welcome his support. They also don't want to make this race all about Donald Trump. And if he were to come to Georgia like he went to Pennsylvania— it can really turn the race on its head 
Back in 2018, Stacey Abrams hardly mentioned Donald Trump's name. She called him the man in the White House. She didn't want to make this race about Trump. Right now, she is a lot more eager to make this race about (laughs) Donald Trump, given her opponent, Governor Kemp's issues with Donald Trump as well. And we're not quite sure if Governor Kemp would show up, even if Donald Trump welcomed him, if Governor Kemp would want to show up at a rally with Donald Trump, because it reminds everyone of all their past issues. And of course, of that rally that Donald Trump had last year, where he said he'd rather Stacey Abrams win than Brian Kemp win. Oh, oh my, it's so awkward. It's just so awkward for Republicans. Um, but it's that it's just the classic, you can't win with them and you can't win without them here in Georgia. When I was on my drive to North Carolina, I saw five Donald Trump signs and I did not see any Brian Kemp signs. <laughs> I saw one Herschel Walker sign. I did see one Burt Jones sign. But the moral to the story is Donald Trump has loyal voters here in the state. And you can imagine the voter who would stay home and not vote for Brian Kemp unless Donald Trump came and told them to. Now, then you can imagine the other Republicans who are like, oh, my gosh, I forgot about that guy. I don't want any, I don't want a 2024 prepeat here. I don't want a preview of that. I want to get rid of that guy. So you know, you can just you can hear the the dueling conversations happening inside the Republican Party. That is why Joe Biden won in 2020. Donald Trump was literally on the ticket and sort of figuratively in that 2021 Senate runoff. And you could just feel Trump's presence for every single event, whether he was there or not. We've gotten so far away from that in this election cycle because of what happened in May. However, if Donald Trump comes back to the state, it's hard to imagine him not coming back to the state. I don't see him possessing that kind of self-control not to come and stump for Herschel Walker and for Burt Jones and for the other candidates. He feels like he really elevated to where they are today. And I so agree. it is a it, it is just disaster on the horizon. However, Republicans cannot afford for those Trump voters to stay home the way they did in 2021. And so they've got, um, it's not like they have a decision to make because Trump's going to do what he does. <laughs> you know, they're going to, they do have a decision to make in terms of how up. they message. Yeah. And whether they show up and if they don't show up, they're going to have to be prepared for whatever he says about them from the stage. And, um, you know, that could be worse than showing up. We just don't know. Yeah. And it's different. It's not like in 2018 or 2020 where Trump was doing five, six rallies a day and Georgia was, of course, on the list. This Pennsylvania rally we just talked about was his first in the midterm cycle. So he has not been keeping up a busy schedule by any means, but that could change too. And I'm with you, Patricia. I find it very hard to believe that he would stay away from Georgia. He might stay away from Atlanta. He might have his rally down in Valdosta. You know, he might have his rally up in Tacoma for all I know, right? Or somewhere in North, (laughs) North Georgia. But maybe in Chris West's district down there, move the needle yeah, on that one a little bit. Yeah, yeah. I mean, look, maybe in Thomasville, but I doubt it will be here in Metro Atlanta. But I, I do think there's probably a 50, 55, 45 shot that he comes to Georgia over the next few months. And Democrats, they're ready to message on that. Here's what Atlanta, former Atlanta Mayor Keisha Lance Bottoms, who now works for the Biden administration, here's what she said about this race potentially becoming, these elections in general, potentially becoming a litmus test on Trump. 
what the president, again, continues to say. It's this MAGA agenda. The president has not called out all Republicans. He's been very specific about this MAGA agenda. And I'll just remind you of the words of Martin Luther King Jr. when he said that um, it, it's not the, the words of our enemies that we will remember. It's the silence of our friends. And what the president has said is that mainstream Republicans, independents, Democrats can all come together. We've seen us come together to do what's right on behalf of the American people. But if people are silent, then the very core of who we are as a country is in danger. That's former Atlanta Mayor Keisha Lance Bottoms talking about rebuilding, essentially rebuilding the Democratic coalition that helped Democrats win in Georgia in 2020 and 2021. Georgia won't be easy. And I guess that boils down all of our five things to watch into one. <laughs> can, can Democrats it won't be easy. That good luck out there. Yeah, good luck out there. <laughs> well, coming up on Friday's episode, we'll answer your questions from our listener mailbox. This has fast become our favorite feature of our podcast. And you can call into it right now. It's the Politically Georgia podcast hotline. And you and or your twin sister, <laughs> as Patricia <laughs> well knows, can call anytime, leave a question, and we'll play it back and answer your question right here on the podcast. The number is 770-810-5297. That's 770-810-5297. Let us hear from you. Thanks for joining Patricia and me on Politically Georgia. You can count on new episodes of this podcast to come out every Wednesday, every Friday, whenever big news breaks. We'll see you next time on Politically Georgia in the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. I'm Ernie Suggs, race and culture reporter for the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. And I'm Ned Ravone, lifestyle columnist. Atlanta has been known as the Black Mecca for so many years, but that means something different to everybody. It means everything to me. I've been living here for 24 years, and I am still amazed at how rich the city's Black culture continues to grow. Every day I wake up, I learn something new. Well, you all can learn something new by subscribing to the Atlanta Journal-Constitution's new newsletter called Unapologetically ATL. It's all about the people, the events, and the entertainment happening in Metro Atlanta that Black people might want to know about. Like historically Black colleges and universities. Atlanta's thriving art scene. And the city's growing neighborhoods. Wherever you live, we want to hear from you. We want to hear what issues are important to you. So subscribe today at www.ajc.com slash unapologetically ATL. Only from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. Constitution.